You are listening to Distinct Poplar, a twice-monthly audio fiction series written and read by Matt Erzberg from www.distinctpoplar.com. This episode is titled, The Ritual, Part 1. Somewhere once, in a city that forgot to stay clean... All of the teachers brought pots. Each teacher brought a pot or two, but mostly one per person. They were all a very necessary part of the ritual, both the teachers and their pots. Each teacher's pot was different. There were large pots and small pots, round pots and square pots, ceramic or metal and painted or plain. There were no rules for conformity nor uniformity in function or design. All that was required of the pots was to serve their purpose, which was to aid in the opening of the big pot in the center of the chamber, the special pot for the ritual. Each teacher wore a mask in the ritual. Theater masks, death masks, protective masks, and lineage masks, to name but a few. Simple or decorative, store-bought or customized, horrific, silly, or standard and plain. Not just to hide who they were from each other, but also because it was the Day of Masks, an annual holiday of anonymity in the city of Distinct Poplar. On this day, everyone in the entire city wore a mask, which was the whole reason why these teachers were present, with their pots held in their arms and patiently waiting for the ritual to begin. She wasn't one of them. This would be her first and only time at the ritual and she did not belong here. Her pot was clay and large and was something her mother had given her. It was quite possibly the ugliest thing she had ever seen, due to its half-baked mishap and form, the taupe and puce discoloration of its glaze, and the mangled flower patterns that had been haphazardly scratched into its surface. Still, it was all she had to bring, and the instructions had been very specific. Bring a pot, they had said. Her name was... Well, actually, she wasn't supposed to have a name, was she? Nobody knew who the others were. They only knew themselves, which was the point of it all. Hence the masks that they all wore today on the Day of Masks to hide their identity during this strange ritual that she had gotten herself roped into attending, in order to help get her life back on track. Her own mask was something that she had put together last minute and was an adaptation of what she had normally planned to wear that day in public, but with some added elements to help hide her identity that much more securely. 
which he had planned to wear to school that day, was just a simple black and gold masquerade mask with feline features for decoration and ears to match that she had attached to a headband. Now that she was doing this ritual thing, she scrapped the fun parts of her ensemble and added a hood and a veil to help hide her actual identity, which wouldn't have been difficult to figure out normally for anyone who she was friends with. Which, to be honest, was part of the problem that led her to this strange secret gathering to begin with. Being a held-back high school student without much in the way of social currency meant that she needed all the help she could get. The social structure of the library kids was really nothing but juvenile politics, and she had an opportunity to take advantage of that if she could just do this one thing for them in order to get back into their good graces. After all, things were different now than back when she was a regular high school student. Before she was a held-back second-year senior, she had been an exiled member of the library kids, a loyal and a time-honored order of high school students devoted to uncovering the threats and mysteries of the school they attended, the purpose of which was to observe and record for future generations to arm them with the knowledge they would need to stay safe. Because after all, the city of distinct poplar was rife with dark and sinister dangers, and teachers could not and should not be trusted. Being one of the library kids was one of her highest ambitions in her old student life, and her new held back student life as well. The order only accepted a very small percentage of the smartest and most capable students, and the leadership changed hands with each graduating class. Those who became members in good standing would have opportunities and connections that lasted beyond their brief time in high school, which was part of what the appeal was to join them, and also the tragic loss she had suffered when she was exiled from their ranks during her sophomore year. But now things could be different. Those who had exiled her were no longer students and were no longer in power after graduation last year. And in a weird loophole of the rules, having to repeat her senior year brought her exile into question because she had failed to graduate with them, which meant, with the approval of the current leadership, she could be brought back into the fold for her second senior year. So when the note appeared in her locker inviting her to the ritual, she knew that someone had their eye on her and her opportunity had come. She was in desperate need of getting her membership status back to good standing. So she decided to participate in whatever this super secret teacher ritual was, especially since it was something that the library kids had gone to great lengths to gain access to, probably lifting this invitation from a teacher that they were shadowing. Even though every fear-driven feature of her body warned her not to do this, she knew they had probably taken great risks to get her into the ritual, and she wasn't about to let them down. That's why she refused to even think of her identity, now that she stood amongst the masked and hooded teachers that entered the chamber with her, in case this ritual, whatever it was, might somehow expose her for the imposter she was. Someone who was tall enough and adult enough to pose as one of them, yet still a student 
A person of two worlds, both youth and adult. The invitation note she received had instructions, the first of which told her where to go, to a secret sub-basement floor that nobody knew existed, which was something she almost could not find on her own. That's the first step of the invitation, as she would come to find out. If you can't find the ritual chamber, then you didn't belong in the ritual. Lost in the very depths of the school, nearly impossible to locate on any blueprints or maps from the library kids, an untrained eye missing it entirely, which any normal student would have glossed over, but not her. She had a special eye for detail, and if she could do this, she would be well on her way back towards getting things where they needed them to be. So she had cleared her head and concentrated on the task at hand, and soon the location of the ritual chamber became revealed to her. Placed in secretly with obscure language of ancient architects and their arcane designs, the would-be ritual chamber was nestled into a comfy corner slot between the boiler room and the basement storage chambers. But truth be told, that was simply the entrance to a secret sub-basement of poorly lit corridors with impossibly low ceilings, and slippery, fiber-reinforced gypsum floors that fit together like a mangled jigsaw puzzle. Something she navigated for what seemed like over an hour before finally arriving at the ritual chamber itself. Looking around, she wondered if any of these other ritual members were new here too. They all seemed to have a practiced demeanor of patience, whereas she was fidgety and nervous. Very revealing, she realized, and something she would need to force herself to stop doing immediately. Try as she may to be still and like a statue, she couldn't help herself when she tried to guess who the other masked participants really were. The bulbous fat one with the mask of a single white smile of obnoxiously large teeth could be Mr. Degson with his sweaty, red, bald head under all those layers. The hunched one with the beaked mask of a flightless bird could have been Mrs. Kefska, who would probably teach her past, present, and future history class till the day she died, croaking it at the blackboard in front of all of her horrified students ruining them for the rest of their lives. Mr. Jewel could be a member here, the flat ceramic mask of screaming face with X'd out eyes. So could Miss Crispy. The chocolate chip cookie mask seemed like her style. Though it really could be anyone, if she really thought about it. She actually had no real idea if they were teachers or not. Some could be custodians, bus drivers, or front office staff. Heck, even that wretched hallway skulker, Mr. Blackwheel, could be one of them. And everyone hated him, both student and teacher alike. And he wasn't actually teaching anything in school, just monitoring the hallways and overseeing a free study period or two. Actually, she reconsidered the thought, 
black wheel would be perfect for something like this. It seemed to fit his general terrible demeanor of unrestricted creepiness. Whomever they all were, the note she received was her only real explanation for the ritual itself. That the teachers were here as a fail-safe to keep students in their classes on this day of anonymity, the day of masks. Because everyone in this stinking city was wearing a mask on this annual holiday, it was a logistical nightmare to take attendance, so teachers didn't bother to do so. But the school system still had the responsibility to keep the students actually at school and accounted for. So if any of them managed to successfully play hooky, how would any teacher actually know? And moreover, what could they actually do about it? This was how the mask of the nameface collector came to be. Ancient lesson planners from years long past devised and created them to go out into the city and bring wayward students back to school. Each teacher knew this, but the students were in the dark. Till now. That was why she was here on behalf of the library kids, whose generational research had found all of this out over the years, and now it was her time. That's why they sent her forth into the actual ritual itself, to discover the truth about the nameface collectors. It was the mystery of the rest of it that gave her that foreboding feeling. Each school has their own nameface collector, and each school has their own secret ritual to make them. That's where the secrecy came into play for the ritual, keeping them safe from each other and outside scrutiny. Not knowing each other's identity meant that, at the end of the day, they could all just walk away from it. There was no blame or responsibility for their actions. Outside of that, the library kids couldn't tell what exactly the nameface collectors actually were, what they'll look like, where they kept them, and how accomplished they were at their missions. Not many people have actually seen one. That's why most of the kids at school didn't even believe that they existed. She also imagined that it would be pretty hard to know if you had encountered one, a nameface collector. On a day where everyone wears masks for a holiday, she figured a nameface collector would blend right in with everyone else. That was something she had to admit to being excited for. She had never actually seen a nameface collector herself. Few had. The anticipation of seeing something so rare made her stomach flip around in her belly like a fish out of water. The next instructions related to the pots. Bring a pot, the noted said, and fill the pot with something you'd rather throw away, which was a lead that she wasn't sure how she was supposed to take. What did that mean, something you'd rather throw away? The small apartment she shared with her mother, grandmother, and now daughter as well, was a treasure trove of things she'd love to throw away, thanks to her mother's obsession with new crafty projects. Whether it was crap jewelry, dioramas, vintage furniture painting, or scrapbooking, her mother was into it, and then out of it, with record speed. Quite honestly, she even liked most of her mother's crafting pursuits. The replica antique dollhouse, for instance, was an adorable project. 
But the problem was her mother didn't finish anything she started. And also that part about how they lived in a cramped apartment. So there was no place for a large miniature house. That's why there was a whole shelf devoted to miniature installations and furniture that had nowhere to go. Except for now. Would the hastily glued pieces be perfect for the ritual? She could think of nothing else she'd rather throw away. She was almost relieved when the ritual started. Enough time had passed and enough members had entered the ritual chamber. A cramped corridor of low ceilings, cold and cracked concrete walls, and mounds of mystery material that seemed to collect from the ground and reach towards the ceiling like stalagmites in a deep underground cave. After everyone was assembled, the masked ritual members drew themselves into a circle, and she was quick to join them, not looking too out of place as she did so. Then the first members started chanting as they walked up to the center pot and poured the contents of their own pot into it. She strained to see what the first member had brought and thought she saw strips of burlap fall into the large black cauldron-like center ritual pot. Then the next member began to chant, joining the first seamlessly as they made their way to the center pot, just as the first member went back to place in the shared circle. The second did as the first and poured their own pot into the centermost pot. She saw two large black glassy rocks tumble out. How strange, she thought to herself, that somebody would be throwing away two chunks of black rocks. So very specific. Then came the third and fourth and fifth. They perfectly integrated into the ritual by chanting and tossing their throwaways into the centermost pot. She observed barbed wire from one pot and some sort of metal filaments from another. Rusty bike chains were next. So she started freaking out just then, inside of her head, inside of her mask. The others had brought items like barbed wire, pieces of metal, black rocks and the like, which all seemed very specific. And yet, what did she bring? Hastily glued dollhouse furniture from her mother's discarded craft projects. How would this look? She began to wonder if this was something she should have put better thought into. The tension of the situation began to build, and there was no way out of it. The next ritual member to go to the center pot was her. So she did. And even though they all wore masks of various colors and designs that kept their identities secret, she was sure that as soon as she poured out her pot, they would see right through her facade, and she would be found out. You've been listening to Series 1, Episode 2, The Ritual, Part 1. Copyright November 29th, 2017, from DistinctPoplar.com. 
Music for this episode was done by Kevin McLeod. You can find more information about the songs in the episode description. For more episodes of our podcast, as well as ebooks and other features of the city that forgot to stay clean, visit us online at distinctpoplar.com. <laughs>